Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. And we tonight includes me, Ian. And Jay Noon. In my opinion, the much bigger news of the day is what's been going on with BRICS. And that is the other alliance of big countries, uh, economic economically growing countries that are becoming economic powerhouses around the world or already are such as china so you've got uh b for brazil r for russia i for india c for china and s for south africa and according to the um some of the things we reported on in recent months these countries together have a very very large combined gdp i believe they are currently rivaling if not surpassing the united states uh, when you combine them together and the portion of global GDP that they have has been rising significantly in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, so they are becoming something worth reckoning with. So if you're talking about the GDP of the United States of America, actually, it's really the United States Corporation, but mm-hmm. versus those those basic uh, BRICS countries, let's not forget that the U.S. dollar is so hyperinflated. Um, sure. probably compared to these other countries because the U.S. is like one of the only countries that enjoys this ability to just totally print all the money up out of thin air. Well, no, they all and, have that. Any country that has a central bank, and I'm pretty sure all of the BRICS countries do. So they all. Uh, but are they doing it to the extent of the United States? Have they done it as much as the United States? Probably. Can- I mean, there was a huge run-up on inflation, which is, for listeners that, that may be new to the show, inflation is the actual increase of a money supply. It's not... Uh, the increase in prices. An increase in prices is a symptom of inflation. It is not the cause of inflation. It is not inflation itself. There was a huge run of inflation during the COVID situation. It wasn't just the United States government that blasted out trillions of dollars. It right. Was, well, it was it, all the central banks, right? Right. Every central bank on the planet, for the most part, used this as the opportunity to go printing crazy with their currency. And... I I think one way you can look at it without being like, you know, I'm not a financial advisor, okay, this isn't financial advice, but but essentially it's a race to the bottom. So right. the question is, who is printing the most? Who is inflating their currency more than the rest? And I think to some extent, when you look at the prices of government monies compared to one another, that gives you some sort of a clue as to who's doing it worse. So for instance, Argentina uh, is generally considered, along with Venezuela, two of the worst countries on the planet as far as inflation rates are concerned. I think Turkey is up there as well at like over 50%, last I heard. I know that uh, Lebanon is also pretty terrible, but I'm not sure exactly how the U.S. is uh, well, playing is, out is, against. Is the U.S. has this you know, mighty military to just destroy all these other countries that want to challenge it, so... So it's really has you know the like Tur- you know the Turkish what's it called? lira is that what it's mm-hmm. called like that's you know who trades in that <laughs> you know, no, Turkish people but yeah but, you know, right, I, but I get no what you're saying really. but look at the euro for instance which came down I haven't looked at its price recently but a few months ago uh, I mean it had been stronger than the dollar for a very long time essentially as I recall since it had come out and then all of a sudden you know a few months ago it was at parity it was equivalent to the dollar and i'll have to check and see where it's at today but that that to me means that the european union was going even crazier with the oh, yeah they uh, the created a lot printer. of money too 
Well, and one of the reasons why they did that was because they also were faced with the energy situation that the United States put them in. Uh, in this, well, of course, they also put themselves into it by joining the war in Ukraine on Ukraine's and, side. Yeah, letting the uh, United States come in and sabotage that pipeline was a Nord Stream two, and just right. the sanctions against the Russians, and then oh, Russia, you're not going to be able to get paid in euro now. That's where they really shot themselves in the foot because now uh, everybody is just going to go trade their whatever their currency is that they have for whatever Russia is willing to accept, and since Russia, Russia can't settle in euros all these people in europe are gonna have a very cold winter they had a cold expensive winter last last year there there's a, a stories about these electric bills going crazy what had happened in a dairy industry here uh between the united states and russia essentially went well, back in like 2007 2006 is there was um <clears throat> like an embargo against um I, I can't remember um exactly how it worked but it was something like we we could no longer export dairy to Russia for some reason. I don't remember mm. what the political climate was, but a lot of American farmers were really upset that they couldn't sell their dairy to Russia. So milk was at that time was worth about twenty four dollars a hundred a uh, hundred weight, which was you know pretty good to get paid for it. Uh, you know back in two thousand six two thousand seven. They said Moscow and its partners would need to agree on a new monetary unit and on the rules for its functioning. So this is still in the you know the talking about talking about it stage. When asked about the new currency, the Russian MP said, "Quote: This is not the RMB yuan and not the ruble. There are already there are already certain formulations. The name is not important, but it should be an analog of the dollar. And if that's what it ends up being without gold backing, then it's hard to." you know, really imagine this is going to really take the world by storm. Certainly it could be useful to the BRICS countries themselves to get them off of reliance on the dollar. So it could could still be damaging to the dollar. But if the if BRICS does come out with the long rumored gold backed currency, that would be something that would be in great demand by, I would say, governments all around the the planet, as long as they could prove that they actually have the gold to back it, and as long as they actually are honoring requests to exchange it for gold, that would be, of course, the key factor that they could change any time they wanted. I personally couldn't trust a so-called government-enforced, no backed, regulated, whatever gold back or any kind of currency yeah, I don't care neither what they're would I. I mean that's why the gold back is the gold back as a product. There's something called the gold back for our listeners that don't know. It's a actual beautiful currency it is an actual piece of gold it's one one thousandth of an ounce at its base level there are higher denominations and it's something that is so easy to use it fits into your wallet it's very very thin they've come up with a way to uh i think it's called atomic vacuum depositing uh, like atomically depositing particles of gold onto a piece of plastic it's an amazingly beautiful piece of art basically and I'm such a huge fan of the gold back. You don't have to trust any backing company. You don't. No one's holding the gold except for you. It's there in your wallet. You pass it to somebody else whenever you want to buy something. Uh, I just tipped with a gold back earlier today at the new taco truck here in Keene. And it was funny because the girls at the taco truck, they already had a gold back that was like hanging on a clip in the nice. back of the truck. So somebody, I suspect it was Aria, had already hit them up because it's right next to Domino's. And of course, Aria works there. I bought hay from three different farmers here in New Hampshire this year. With goldbacks? Uh, yes, with goldbacks. Awesome. Uh, the last guy, I ran out of goldbacks the other day, uh, and mm. um, 
<clears throat> so I paid him a little bit of silver. Okay, all right. But uh, he's like, oh, we really like this gold. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? I mean, yeah. if you, it's just whenever you see the gold back, whenever somebody new sees the gold back, the reactions are always so much fun to, to see how people uh, respond to it. And they're almost always positive. It's very, very rare that somebody will say, oh, I'm not really into gold. It's pretty rare. One thing I've noticed about farmers uh, at like the farmers market I went to, I've go, gone to around here. The farmers market I, I went to in Arizona last winter. I was able to spend a bunch of gold backs there, and even these local mm-hmm. farmers and some guys I've bought some cows from. Uh, they like farmers. You don't have to convince them to take gold, even though the gold backs are trading at like double spot gold or even a little more than double whatever gold spot is. And I, you know, I just did it at five bucks, a you know, one one thousands gold back okay. with the guy. Basically, it was you know almost worked out to you know one gold one gold back per bale of hay. It was basically what it worked okay. out to, and uh, that that was like just oh, you'll pay me in gold, cool, yeah. This Hell is yeah. basically double spot price, you know. And he's like, well, it's a it's worth it. Look it's at look more. how convenient it is. Yep. He's like, this is great. I'm so glad people can see that. You know, because uh, that that objection to the gold back that, oh, it's twice the price of spot. Good luck getting any gold at the spot right. price, number one. Uh, but secondly, it is so low priced compared to other um, fractional gold because the more you divide gold, the more the premium gets on on that gold. It gets it gets crazy down the, the smaller the piece. And as you pointed out. Before the gold back, there was never any useful small denomination of gold. Anything less than a tenth of a uh, of an ounce was too small to even hold in your hand. I mean, you could you you would lose it. So with the gold back, it's super convenient. It's easy. You put it in your wallet. You're not gonna if it falls to the ground, you're not gonna have trouble finding it. It's it's huge. I um, have this. Uh, it's like a gram bar of gold. Yeah, it's but tiny. It's, but well, it's like it's five grams. The guy just broke oh, me off a sliver of it. One of those but, things. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to break it up into the little grams because, just like you said, you might lose them. They're right. just in like a little baggie in my safe. But. Yeah, that's like old tech. Yeah, you know, and it's not worth as much. And there's a huge premium on that stuff on the on just those little pieces. You know, it's pretty clear that the BRICS organization that's uh, that is Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. They may be adding some more letters pretty soon from what we understand. We'll talk about that coming up here. But it's pretty clear that this is an organization that is very interested in dealing damage to the dominance of the U.S. dollar. And the theory here from, at least according to Russia-Briefing.com, in a statement from the Russian state deputy speaker, the Duma deputy speaker, Alexander Babakov, He's saying Russia is going to be taking a new role in the world order, and uh, 49 out of 55 African countries attended the Russia-Africa summit that happened in the last week, apparently, and they are looking to team up to shift away from the dominance of the dollar. When asked about the new currency, he said the name is not important, but it should be an analog of the dollar. He said further, after all, the BRICS, in terms of its potential today, is greater than the G7. That is, the potential of the market where this currency can function is very wide. There are no reasons to be tied to the dollar, he said. The BRICS nations have been seeking to shift further away from the U.S. dollar and mutual trade. The de-dollarization trend has been gaining momentum in the wake of sanctions that effectively cut Russia off from Western-dominated financial systems. Numerous developing nations, including fellow BRICS members, have also started to move toward alternative currencies in trade. Moscow floated the idea of introducing a BRICS currency just last year. 
Putin had said last June that member states were working on developing a new reserve currency based on a basket of national currencies used by the five-nation bloc. In 2022, China's trade with BRICS reached about $468 billion. Russia's uh, was $164 billion, while India achieved $142 billion. And their summit is coming up August 22 through 24, so just about three weeks from today. We're going to start learning a lot more about what the plans of BRICS are. Well, good for Africa and the people of Africa. I'd, so this uh, list I looked at here, it's uh, was posted in the Dollar Vigilante, you know, Jeff Berwick's uh, Telegram page is, you know, United Arab, you know, these are uh, countries that have formally applied to join the alliance. There's only 16 in here. But basically every single country in here, uh, best I can tell, the people of these countries have been pretty much um, done a lot of harm by, by the, US, the government. U.S. I mean, maybe the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia hasn't done not much harm, but there was definitely... That's because the U.S. has to treat them with kid gloves. Right, because they have so much influence the with the oil. And uh, also, you know, Saudi Arabia spent a lot of years buying a lot of politicians. You mm-hmm. know, it was pretty clear that they owned the Bush crime family, probably sure. the same way that the, you know, uh, Ukrainians own the Biden crime family. Mm-hmm. And... But even for a long time in this country, there was a lot of uh, negative sentiment and ra- uh, racism towards uh, Middle Eastern people because of all of the uh, propaganda and nonsense of 9-11 uh, and just all of the, you know, the, the media and the government, you know, sort of pushing, the, you know, this agenda that we should, you know, these, these these brown people are a problem on the other side of the world and we got to go to war with them and all that. I, I When I was, you know, in my 20s, it was always somebody... You know that I was working with had a problem with Middle Easterners, and you know that was due to uh, the government propaganda. So uh, I can understand where like people from Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates would not be happy with America. And For let sure. me tell you something about those uh, those uh, fellows out there, you know, wearing their turbans in the desert. They're, they're more redneck than the Americans. If you want to watch <laughs> um, uh, Saudi Arabian or or you uh, United Arab Emirates uh, UEA uh sand drags uh you should see these cars that they have they have like toyota forerunners mm-hmm. they got big like 700 cubic inch v8 engines in them they got you know two three turbochargers on them. they're making like four thousand horsepower and and they do these hill climbs mm. out in the desert and these sand drags and uh they have uh, like chevy pickup trucks all jacked up and ready to go you know really just yeah it's it it's pretty cool um so we uh and actually, the guy who informed me of that was Will Coley. Okay. So Will Coley and I Our were talking. Former uh, imam co-host here. Yeah. So Will Coley's like, well, I'm a Muslim and I'm a redneck. I grew yeah, up in is. eastern Tennessee. And he goes, you want to see how the, the wealthy uh, uh, Muslim, uh, the wealthy Muslim rednecks, what they do? Check this out, Jay. You'll like this. And he pulls out his phone and he shows me these sand drags in, du- in Dubai. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. It's, that's like, you know, those guys, they're doing the cool stuff. Go ahead, Skeeter. You're on Free Talk Live. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, um, yeah, you interrupted my argument that uh, your your hypocritical uh, secession movement relied on uh, free riding on the national U.S. national fence, right? With a counterexample using uh, Costa Rica as like a paradigm of how nations don't need national defense. But uh, you failed to mention that Costa Rica is explicitly protected by by the U.S. under the Rio Treaty of 1947. 
Okay. Well, minor point, but uh, New Hampshire is loaded with guns. We have no need for the United <laughs> States to protect us. What what good is guns going to do against a, a real government? You can't you can't secede in a sea of uh, government sharks. The reason why Japan never invaded the United States, uh, at least it's an apocryphal quote, is that uh, the Admiral Yamamoto is supposedly said something to the effect of "There's a rifle behind every blade of grass." So it, it's a reality. It would be very hard to. Sure to overcome the rugged mountain terrain of New England, Quebec, <laughs> New York, Pennsylvania, uh, it'd probably I'm be easy. Sure it had to do with destroyers in the sea and uh, bombers, <laughs> like firebombing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could just carpet bomb an entire, you know, landmass. Sure. Yeah, but, but then there's nothing so, to take over. So how, right. How many jet fighters does New Hampshire own? Uh, well, it doesn't matter. We're not going to uh, be invading other countries. There is a New Hampshire countries. Air National Guard that if New Hampshire became, uh, you know, sovereign with respect of the United States Corporation, then yes, there would actually be some jet fighters. <laughs> is that what you're saying, Skeeter? Yeah, but... You think that the United States government is going to carpet bomb New Hampshire? No, I mean, any government. You can't, like, uh, take, for example, you want a real libertarian example? Try the Republic of Minerva. See what happened to them when they tried to liberate, like, just an island. And you, they got what taken over there? by a small little nation by uh, called Tonga. Okay, so Tonga didn't carpet bomb them, though, did they? No, they didn't have to. They were so scared, they ran them off. Okay, well, you've <laughs> never been to New Hampshire, have you? What does that deal? I'm, I'm not a government, am I? Do I have a tank? If I... You don't understand I, the I, point. I, the could... people of New Hampshire are they're called granite staters for a reason. They're pretty hardy. Uh, self-reliant, rugged individualists, and they are very well-armed, probably the, one of the most well-armed states uh, in the entire world. And they're all hunters. Yeah, and like, they're not going to so just... What, what can you they're do not going to let like the a, king a of Tonga roll up in a gunboat and take over the country, okay? It's just not going to happen. And the fact is... Yeah, but they have jet fighters. <laughs> so what? Tonga doesn't have jet fighters, number one, and it doesn't matter which countries have jet fighters. We can get surface-to-air missiles. That's not an impossible thing for uh, for people to do. You <laughs> you laugh about this. Do you think... to spend that much. Huh? Only governments are fool enough to spend like that much. Not if there's actual, uh, not if there's an actual <laughs> threat, dude. If people actually feel like they are under threat from some, you know, aggressive nation state for whatever reason, which, by the way, the thing you're talking about doesn't exist. Okay, the things that you're referring to are not happening today. There's a ton of little countries all around the planet that are not being invaded by China. That are they're not being invaded yeah, by all, Russia. They all have treaties with bigger nations. They're all, they're all with, under, in bed with other governments. Are you going to do that? You, I have no idea what, uh, what the people of New them? Hampshire... I have no idea what the people of New Hampshire are going to do as an independent nation. But New Hampshire was an independent nation before, and New Hampshire will be an independent nation again. Just because you're afraid, just because there's a bunch of people who live in fear out there like you, Skeeter, doesn't mean that that's actually what's <laughs> going to happen here. People want the federal government right now. They still... Even though they're skeptical, even though they question it more so, I think, than ever, they still are married to the idea of being part of this federal government. And that's what needs to change. Uh, it has been a very abusive relationship, but apparently they haven't been beaten hard enough uh, by their federal daddy before they're finally going to change their mind and want to leave this relationship. All the addicts from the uh, people living in the tents, the drug addicts living in the tents mm -hmm. in the cities, they want their you know EBT card. They want their welfare. 
uh, right up to the corporate executives who are all, you know, getting most of the welfare. Like a very small portion of welfare actually goes to the drug addicts. Most of the welfare that the American people are paying the bill for or are financing, you know, into the future is going towards massive corporations and law firms and military industrial complex. So, like, yeah, I am sure that, you know, uh, uh, New Hampshire ball bearing, for example, which is right here in Keene, Timken, you know, Timken New mm-hmm. Hampshire ball bearing, all them, you know, a lot of their contracts are aerospace, military. Sure. So, yeah, they're definitely very much wanting, you know, not wanting that. And then you have all of your political parasite class, everybody who's going to collect a, uh, a government pension, whether it be state, federal, or local, uh, they all want that. We've got to understand that, you know, the state of New Hampshire is a federal franchise. It is a franchise of the District of Columbia. The the state of New Hampshire that is a corporation that is, uh, the state of New Hampshire that well, is Well, there was land, the nation of New Hampshire. Well, the nation of New Hampshire still exists. It hasn't dissolved. Mm-hmm. It's still here. The problem is, is everybody is claiming to be a 14th Amendment U.S. citizen by when they get their driver's licenses, when they get mm-hmm. any kind of permits, you know, when they fill out their, um, you know, uh, passport application, they claim that they're a, a U.S. citizen. Then they check that little box, right? Right. And they just, and they don't even know what the definition of U.S. U.S. citizen is. And there's no, actually three there's different ones. Yeah. Uh, according to the Supreme Court. And, uh, but anyways, that's not confusing or anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- exactly. It's, it's all meant to be confusing. But the thing is, is, uh, people, individuals, uh, and there's a lot of them in New Hampshire are correcting their citizenship status. And there is a whole, bunch of people offering a very similar, you know, sort of passport, you know, application process. You can find them all over the internet. I've uh, heard of, uh, there's at least a dozen guys doing it now uh, and, and a lot of them in New Hampshire. Uh, so you can look, check that out. But the, you know, the thing is, is uh, we got, and, and you got to stop asking government for benefits. This is why we need to be investing in our posterity. So a generation from now, we have a whole bunch of young people that are like, I'm strong and confident and competent. I don't need government. You know, that that's really got to be the big mission forward here. And and the thing is, is we need to just stop interacting with the with the federal government. Just tell them no. And, you know, stop, you know, stepping in their jurisdictional traps. Stop accepting their benefits. Stop accepting, you know, grants. Like Absolutely. I, like, I mean, New Hampshire does this on an occasional basis. Right. So, for instance, the state government has refused the bribe money from the federal government for decades now on the seatbelts. Seat and so it is proof positive that this can be done. You can say no to their mandates. Well, New it's Hampshire just, was the only state that said no to uh, COVID money uh, at least one time around. Then they said around. yes, and then and well, then they arrested a bunch of people yeah. for you know uh, you know making a sort of a big deal about it and creating awareness. And subsequently dropped the charges, from what I understand, in those and uh, most of those mo- cases. Yeah, most of them. I don't know about all of them yet. Uh, but. Well. S- uh, Frank Footloose uh, Staples was convicted on one count of uh, disorderly conduct, but it was a total BS conviction, and he's appealing it. Let's go to the phones. we got uh, Dave Ridley on the line, somebody that is a big fan of independence. Dave, I don't know if you heard that last call with uh, Skeeter in California, The sort of the typical, oh, no, you're going to get carpet bombed by the U.S. government if you secede or China is going to invade this kind of fear mongering, and I'm wondering if you have anything that uh, you wanted to weigh in on that point. Yeah, it's not 1750 anymore, where you can wipe out a village and nobody knows about it for three weeks. Uh, I think the the appropriate precedents to be looking at are the ones that are recent. You know, how did this play out in Catalonia? How mm-hmm. did it play out in Slovenia? How did it play out in Estonia? Well, it didn't and go yeah, well in Catalonia. 
I mean, they, uh, it can, yeah, it, right. It can be, sometimes it's violent, yeah. uh, you know, and sometimes it's violent on, on both sides, but there's none of this stuff has played out, um, the, you know, the way the U S civil war did recently. Yeah. I think the best example would be, uh, great Britain exiting from the European union. I think that to me has the most parallels of what New Hampshire will be looking at doing, right? The European Union is a group of nations that came together for the purposes of whatever and uh, making a bigger government together. And uh, Brick said, okay, we're, or sorry, um, Britain said, we're out. And there was a, it took a long time to make it happen. Some people weren't happy about it, but no one dropped a bomb on any, on either side. Do you know how much easier it would be for me to get uh, livestock processed here in New Hampshire if without the no, USDA? No USDA. There would be all kinds of butcher shops starting up. the uh, The economic hustle and bustle would just be would be amazing. Amazing. I mean, it's actually pretty yeah. good in New Hampshire now. I, I, anybody who wants has a job in New Hampshire. What are we calling about? Really? The other, well, the other thing is that it's like it's the most craven thing to say. Well. Uh, you know, uh, the reason why I'm going to help the federal government is because they're really bad, right? I mean, that's just, you do, you yeah. just the worse they are, the more important it is to discooperate with them. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, uh, Craven is the exact correct word there, Ridley. You, we are talking about cowardice, and that is what Skeeter represents. He represents uh, the ultimate in cowardice. He's someone who is not willing to do anything more than vote. Uh, to try to change the situation that he's in. We had him on, uh, he was a, he's a regular caller these days, and he called in the other day, and I asked him, well, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing to achieve this uh, this aggressive government that you're looking for? Because he calls himself an uh, accelerationist, and he said he's voting. It's <laughs> like, well, that's never going to change anything. <laughs> so, yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, I don't know how, you know, I don't know how long I can, I would be able to take it while they're pulling my fingernails off sooner or later to get me a, give in on something i I guess but uh you know it's not like they haven't ever done anything to me right like i've been subjected to nakedness and temporary blindness and um cold and uh, humiliation and all the things that go with being arrested by the feds uh you know for in in my case handing out flyers Mm -hmm. so i hope that i've done something you know to show that that you can fight them um Peacefully, you know, I never gave yeah. them any money for you know when they were demand they were demanding one hundred twenty five dollars from me. But I, you know, other other people have done far far you know more uh, more more brave things against this government, um, and there's just no there's just no reason to to help them. Yeah, and I think that that we need uh, more bravery rather than more cravenness. Uh, for lack of a better word. And I think that uh, courage is very infectious. When you see people behaving in a courageous manner, it can be very inspiring to those who are just simply watching. I know that's what happened to me when I was watching the earliest videos from uh, New Hampshire that were coming out in 2005 and uh, 2004. You were involved in, in some of this, Ridley, uh, with uh, the Cannings and some of the earliest movers, the uh, Canarios, that were here doing civil disobedience. And, and it's just making a stand, not in a violent way, but in a peaceful manner, showing that you could do things from a peaceful uh, perspective and yet have a very large impact 
and impact the viewer in a in a really important way to show that there's another option besides just voting every four years to try to change the system from the inside. You can take direct action and you can make a difference out there uh, in a positive manner. And I think that that's just so important. And if we can attract more people who are willing to actually stand up for themselves and again being peaceful while we do this secession thing then we're going to be full of uh, a bunch of great courageous activists who are not concerned with the fear that people like skeeter are are trying to propagate that they will not fall for that that trick yeah anything else ridley did we even talk about what you called about yeah i was calling about something completely different okay great Uh, so um I wanted to kind of start what may be a, this would be a little bit of a series, you know, every few months I'll probably call on about this, but uh, I call it This Year in Free State History. As okay. You, you may be aware the, the Free State Project lamentably deleted its own history uh, around 2020 mm. by taking down uh, its web forum. Oh, yeah, that's right. The uh, The Free State Project forum, which is where so much of the uh, the original chatter about which state should be chosen and, like, you know, who's going to move and what's going to happen and some of the original ideas that were being thrown out. Uh, you were on that forum. I was there. This was this goes back to probably, what, 2002, uh, this forum? It had a long history. Yeah, they spun up the forum in, I believe, mid-2002. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, it was really a remark. Well, not remarkable, but it was a, at the time it was a mundane, but looking back, a really exciting uh, means of communication that really kind of doesn't exist anymore, except to some extent on the Shire Forum. Was anyone, so uh, Ridley, do you know when they took that forum down, did they at least offer up the database to anyone that wanted to download it so they could uh, make a copy and put it somewhere else? They announced they were going to do it and gave about a month's notice, I believe. So anyone wanting to do that probably would have been able to do it. Okay. At the time, I thought it would be bad, and I was nervous about it, but I didn't think realize just how bad it would be. And, and that now, now that I want to, when I want to go back, you know, anytime I want to go back and verify something, it's just like it's been erased from history. Oof. Hey, Daily Digestion listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy. So, I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin... Visit patreon.com slash crblake86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. What was it that happened in 2003? One of the biggest things that happened was the Free State Project had its vote of the 5,000 first 5,000 members, and they chose from a slate of 10 candidate states, New Hampshire, and they chose it overwhelmingly, but I wanted to hear what you had to say about it. So go ahead. Yeah, there were other things that happened along there. So Wyoming came in second. Uh, That's right. They were, they were looking at they were looking at ten low population states with, without you know, raving authoritarian governments already in place. And um, the, as a result, of, there were a lot of people that were really big on Wyoming, and uh, we lost a lot of them when New Hampshire was picked. And so two thousand, I think two thousand, our membership rolls dropped by two thousand or so. Oh wow! Uh, immediately uh, as soon as as soon as that 
choice was made. It, it would have been even worse if Wyoming had been picked. I think we would have lost a lot of the New Hampshire people. Mm. Um, and by the way, the, the Wyoming just, thing never panned out into much. There was uh, a competing organization <laughs> that was formed shortly after the vote called Free State Wyoming because there was a bunch of people who just they weren't willing to leave the West ultimately, and they wanted to move to a Western state. And so some of them did move to Wyoming. They subsequently disappeared. Uh, the Wyoming Free State Wyoming organization held a camping event for a few years and then subsequently stopped updating their website in 2007, and nothing has ever been heard since. Actually, in 2003, both Keith Carlson and I toured Wyoming hmm. to kind of investigate it for the Free State Project. Um, and uh, Keith is still active. He's still in, in, uh, in state. Um, but uh, in my case, I guess I went after him. And yeah, I, I, I'm a, you know, like a Colorado, I, was, I grew up in Colorado and I like that climate a lot better. And so my mm -hmm. heart just ached, you know, when I was in Wyoming and realized, I don't think this is going to work. It's beautiful, but I'm just not seeing it. Um, and it was just, it was the distances. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it too was big. The, the it's too big. The local, the local reaction to us. Really? Uh, pe people were friendly enough, but it just wasn't like New Hampshire where uh, it was like the state was begging us to move here. <laughs> mm. This is the only state where the, obviously the governor uh, invited us to move here, the sitting governor mm -hmm. at the time, and the, um, the, the Libertarian Party put together a very organized effort to recruit free staters to vote for New Hampshire. No other state really was able to put that together. And, you know, when you're moving somewhere, a, a key priority is you're not kind of unwelcome, right? You want to feel welcome if you're going to be an outsider. For sure. Difficult, difficult to achieve that. And this is the only place where it seemed achievable. Well, yeah, and I think you made a great point, uh, especially when it comes to the size of the, the land. I mean, look, Wyoming's just a huge place and relatively low population. I mean, even by comparison to New Hampshire, if I recall correctly, Wyoming is the lowest population of all the 50 states. Um, I think I remember it being around 450,000 at the time. I don't know if it's grown since uh, since then in the last 20 years, but uh, you know that's like a third, basically, of the New Hampshire population, and uh, and it's spread out over a much much larger landmass that also doesn't have the benefit of international borders like New Hampshire does. And we were just talking about secession as a, a real possibility here someday, and it certainly would be easier to secede when you're surrounded by and, you know an international seaport right. and Canada. Yeah, that, that's huge for New Hampshire. Absolutely, and it's a relatively small place to where if you need to drive to the state capital, which is centrally located, unless you're in the most northern parts of the state, it's probably no more than an hour or so maximum for most of New Hampshire to get to the capital. That is not the case with a state the size of Wyoming. Anyway, you know, as time goes by, history is always at threat. Uh, you know, we're, we're always at, uh, at risk of losing our history, and I just think it's important to start uh, remembering while we're able to remember. And I, I could tell you a lot of other things about 2003. I should probably just call it, make a separate call sometime and, and pick it up, you know, from there. Um, but uh, Yeah, that'd be yeah, fun because there's probably a lot I don't remember about it. I mean, the the vote sticks out. I mean, that was obviously the biggest thing that happened for the Free State Project in 2003. But I, as I, I recall, there were also some people that moved before the vote even happened, at least one lady, I think, uh, Jackie, if I recall her name correctly, she's sort of considered to be the first mover or like mover number zero to New Hampshire because she just went ahead and committed to it before the vote even happened and, and made the move here. 
Yeah, and that was significant because a Boston television station did a documentary which heavily featured her. And of course, she's mm-hmm. a very winsome character, especially in 2003 she was. And so there was, um, there was just, this, you know, she just really created a, a, a profound vibe, you know, for what free staters were. Mm-hmm. She was just such an impressive individual. And the, um, that documentary kind of set, set the tone. And then I guess Michael Peltier and his wife moved right about the same time and they may have been the first movers after the the uh the state was picked now i and believe she's a- still here i don't know about the peltiers are they still around or do they end up um i haven't else? heard i haven't m- heard much about them recently yeah i've seen jackie within the last couple of years so i know she's still i think she was at the uh, new hampshire liberty alliance their dinner that they had, if I recall, last year, maybe it was the year before. Ridley, keep us in the loop on these uh, historic moments for the Free State Project. That seems seems like a fun project. We were talking about this BRICS Alliance. They're coming up with their yearly summit that's happening in just a few weeks where they may be extending BRICS. I don't know if they're going to just keep the acronym as is or just start adding more letters to it. I guess time will tell. But they are going to be meeting in Johannesburg this month to discuss enlarging the block. This story from MSN and Cryptopolitan reporting the potential expansion has the support of influential voices within the alliance, such as Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. However, the process requires careful consideration with India and Brazil seeking to frame guidelines before admitting new members. There will be an opportunity for BRICS leaders to meet face-to-face with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi confirming his attendance in South Africa, uh, dispelling prior speculation. On the other hand, Vladimir Putin will participate virtually, while the group representing more than 42% of the world's population deliberates on critical matters. I mean, that is a huge number, right? 42% of the world's population. I don't know what the U.S. percentage is, but it's much smaller than that. I mean, 300 million people isn't exactly a but, lot of people. But the 40, that 42% of the population is a population of people who are, you know, stronger. Uh, you know, they got, they're more willing to, like, you know, work hard to get mm-hmm. what they want. That's because a lot of them are impoverished. Right. Yeah. They've been struggling for years. They've been in poverty. They're, uh, and, and they're, you know, gonna, they're not afraid to work is, is, is a lot of the big thing. And they're starting to become more evolved and smarter with, you know, the technology and the internet. And also, mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of them are getting their brains destroyed too uh, by the internet, like what's been happening here for a very long time in the United States now. For 20 years, we've had basically high-speed internet in all the major cities. And, uh, but, you know, all the Americans are just pretty much fat and happy and, you know, just, sure. you know, big happy time. to eat their cheap, you know, government-subsidized food. To where a lot, I bet you the people, most of the people in these countries have had to like grow and harvest their food because food is so expensive because it's not government subsidized in those nations like it is here. Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like this, you know, for that Free Talk Live thinks BRICS is some sort of freedom bastion. It's not. I mean, these are not free countries, right? Like Brazil, Russia, India, China, South South Africa. I mean, these are oppressive nation states, just like every nation state uh, is oppressive. The United States isn't even the freest country in the world by various different metrics out there. The freedom of the uh, economic freedom indexes don't even have the U.S. in, in some cases in the top 10. Uh, so, I mean, th- these aren't freedom-friendly places. It's just noteworthy because they are economically growing. These are places where they have... 
clawed back some of the regulations. Like, I mean, China's gotten worse in in recent years, as I understand it. But there were a couple decades where they had a lot more economic freedom to start companies and things like that. And as you said, Jay, these are people who are hungrier. Yes. Literally. And those are people who are willing to work hard. We know that immigrants to the United States, those who are uh, fortunate enough to actually be allowed to immigrate here, tend to be more entrepreneurial. Oh, yeah. They got an awesome hustle. These guys got all kinds of jobs. I mean, look at all the Indian guys running, you know, um, convenience stores. A lot of them own, a lot of those families own several convenience stores. The hotels in this area are are owned by uh, Middle Eastern guys. They own convenience stores. The same family owns uh, hotels, uh, trucking companies. Uh, you know, as they're and, they're and they're having seven, eight kids, and all the kids are growing up in the yeah, stores. They are or like, you know, you know, four or five years old. They're like my kids working on a farm. This way, these Indian culture raises their kids, and then the kids are seventeen, eighteen years old, and they got landscaping businesses, truck trucking yeah, businesses, very entrepreneurial. The average, whatever. Uh, the average immigrant to the United States is far more likely to be of the entrepreneurial mindset than the average American that's just born here. You know, with a silver spoon in their mouth, and that mindset in, in in those countries where you're under such government oppression and you're poor and they're like you know basically communist socialist type countries mm-hmm. and where you know like you said they're they're not free at all, but that mindset you know does make these people strong and hungry and 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 they have to like like when Russia collapsed you know in what was it eighty nine or ninety two or something a good friend of mine he he likes to talk about this he was talking about because it was a, a communist country that you had to engaged in a black market just to basically maintain yourself and mm-hmm. have enough to, to food. eat yeah uh, nobody had lawns everybody had gardens every kid was maintaining gardens and doing mm-hmm. like actual work there was none of this you know basically nonsense going on because you couldn't afford it so when everything collapsed the black market was so strong that the people uh were able to to uh, continue and, and essentially do okay uh, to where here in America there's so few people that like if, if their card they can't swipe their card I don't care if it's your visa platinum or your ebt card there's a lot of people that that card doesn't work they're screwed this is a situation that's not so local this is happening to people all around the country being targeted uh by the police for peaceful acts like taking your kids to a playground this actually happened in multiple places as i understand it during covid it happened in concord new hampshire uh and there's video of this going down we've actually at think if not played the video on the air talked in great detail about what happened uh in the case and i believe we're you're going to tell us about what happened to some of the other parents we had uh, spoken with rochelle kelly who was one of the parents who was targeted by police on this particular day during i think it was like april 2020 if i recall correctly something like that you know there was still snow on the ground in concord at the time and they brought their kids to a playground that was completely empty with the exception of these few parents and these few kids that had gone specifically to the park for this one day. And some dirty snitch called the police on these people. And the police came out, rather than just ignoring the call about kids playing in a playground, the, the Concord police came out and they threatened the, the parents. And they told the parents they had to get their kids off of the playground or else. And the, par- the parents did. The parents uh, removed their kids from the playground, and that was the end of the interaction. It was. It seemed like it was over and done with. It was ridiculous. The video is outrageous. Uh, I believe you can see a copy of it at the Freekeen Odyssey channel over at video.freekeen.com. But that wasn't the end of the story. They didn't want it to end there, they being the police thugs. 
who decided they were going to go ahead and find out who these parents were. And it took months. If I recall, it was several months before police put warrants out for the arrest of Rochelle Kelly and I presume these other parents who were involved as one. You're going to tell us yeah, a little the, bit more about it. The incident was April 23rd, and they were arraigned on October 19th, according to an article yeah. out of the Concord Monitor. Half a year later. Yep. Well, same thing with my wife. You know, mm-hmm. it was an incident that she was literally arraigned well over a year later. Wow. Over, you know, with, uh, you know, my daughter in the car for mm-hmm. 20 minutes. So what what happened is uh so Pamela is a friend of ours Pamela Ju- uh Pamela Jules she's mentioned in here but okay. Pamela and Tyler Workman or you know uh, husband and wife they have a couple of kids and their kids play with my kids and you know they come to homeschool co-op and stuff and she was telling me she was me, the one that was really letting them have it in the video if i recall correctly right wasn't there like one of the moms that was really just going off on the cops i don't really recall the video uh mm. but it, you know it could have been either one of them i mean she's you know she's a feisty woman okay she's a she's a mama bear you yeah know, she was totally standing moms. up for herself yep. which was awesome and, and her kids. Uh, that that's you know because well most of the men are just you know been chemically ca- emotionally castrated <laughs> by the state so we got a whole bunch of soy boys that aren't you know interested in you know doing anything uh so now it's the women who are, you know become the new uh freedom fighters and and and, and the warriors hmm. so anyways uh tyler workman ended up filing uh complaints with the police department the concord police department against Stephen Carter and Paige uh, Salmon. These are the, are these the cops that responded to the scene? Yes, and these are the cops that would have uh, filed the warrant. Okay, because um, I didn't know if it, I didn't know if it was the same cops who were there versus who did I, the paperwork. I believe whatever. so, but these okay. are I be, and I'm pretty sure. I know these are the cops' names. I got out mm-hmm. of the articles, but I I remember. Now uh, hold, hold on, time frame here. Let me let me see if I'm following this. So April of 2020, the incident in the park happened. Yep. October, they got arraigned. Yep. When was the filing of the lawsuit in regards to the uh, court case against the parents? Oh, uh, the filing of the court case against the parents. Uh, I don't know when that was. I would have to look into that. Well, it's, no, no. I mean the lawsuit. You're, you're saying they're suing. You're saying the parents are suing. They're preparing. The they haven't actually filed the lawsuit. The okay, window's so that's closing coming. pretty soon, okay, okay. so they're, they're, they're working on that. So they uh, they already but went they filed to court. Complaints. Yeah, but they've been uh, found not guilty. Not guilty, yep. which is also the same thing that happened with Rochelle Kelly. Yep. We fi- followed that case. I was there recording video, if I if I recall correctly, of that the the courtroom was packed full of people in the Rochelle Kelly case, which was awesome. It's great to see that level of support, people coming out to to back somebody up. And the judge, you could tell he didn't want to find her not guilty, or if, if it, I think it was a guy. Anyway, the judge, whoever it was, didn't want to do it. Like he kind of read her, mm-hmm. uh, read her the riot act while finding her not guilty, essentially lecturing her. But he had to because it was just so obviously wrong what happened to her. They were charged in this BS case where the cops came after them and and arrested them for bringing their kids to the park. They won those cases and then they started filing requests for information, freedom of information requests with Concord Police. Concord Police then responds with a no trespass order against them. Is that I, right? Did I, I understand they that They right? filed a complaint. I don't know about a, complaint. a right to no request, okay. but they filed a complaint. Now they're doing right yep. to no requests. Uh, they're going right. to be okay. now, yes. We, I, we're going to actually mm-hmm. meet up about this. So um, this is also going to work into you know our um, you know courtroom meetup that we're having, mm. uh, a few friends of ours. And where we're organizing and working on essentially, you know, uh, 
reporting all these bad actors to the state agencies, to the government a- agencies, which are going to quite likely just do nothing about it, which we expect them to do nothing about it. But then we can say, look, they don't hold themselves accountable. Look, look here, legislature. Um, all these government agencies did nothing. So, you know, we need uh, there needs to be some teeth to be sunk into these government bureaucrats somehow. Uh, they need to lose their pensions. They need to go to jail. Somebody needs to stay after school. There has to be, and and the more and more that we show, uh, and 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 so this is happening on every level. So from just regular old pe- regular people who are just trying to go to the park, you know, and mm-hmm. and and raise their kids are being targeted, and right up to you know, right on all the media where you have the Department of Justice going after Trump. Uh, for all the wrong mm. things, you know, there's reasons to go after Trump. I mean, he's, you know, participated in, you know, bombing people uh, right. you know, no, as a president. That's not the reason why. And, right? yeah. and, and these these ridiculous reasons that like basically are just a, a distraction. And yet you got Hunter Biden, you know, using uh, prostitutes to make porno. He's on mm-hmm. video doing drugs. Yeah. Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Green did a really good like exposing, you know, all of uh, some, you know, whatever porno thing that Hunter Biden, you know, filmed and videotaped and then she, at the end of it she's like oh and he wrote it all off on his business taxes <laughs> <laughs> you know the prisma money he got mm-hmm. and the, but anyways it's just it, it's so clear and cut uh right now that like anybody who and, and i don't know any like actual working class people that uh agree with the way justice is being administered in this country the only people who agree with the seems that it was like you know tony kaplan for example who's just you know a career state you know government employee guy who was a guy I ran against for state representative here in New well, Hampshire. Well, if but- that's true, then Donald Trump has a good chance at a jury. If it's actually true that people are sick and tired of things, and you know, uh, was- a jury where? Well, there's <laughs> one in D.C. apparently now. Yeah, who picks the jurors? Right, the government picks the jurors. So, they like, e- even do. like my wife getting a fair jury would be really hard, especially in Concord, yeah. because Concord is mostly a bunch of liberals. You know, um, I and I yeah, think that's a good point. And, and you know, and I think that uh, a mom in a situation like when well, my wife's going to have a jury trial, that well, there's a couple of different things. Uh, the jurors should, at the very least, all be moms, be mothers. That that would be a true jury of one's peers. Unfortunately, yep. it doesn't seem like you get that kind of jury. When it comes, like in my case, in the Crypto Six case, it should have been crypto people who were on the yeah. jury, but no, they prohibited. Uh, essentially, they did everything they could to kick off anybody that knew anything at all. That would about be. A, I hope that your lawyers working at uh, uh, in the appeals. I don't think you can. I think that that's been so long set uh, think, in in the courts. It's just like I think you'd have to the try. Definition of a uh, <laughs> the definition of a peer is just somebody else who's a voter. I mean, it's just such a stupid system. Hello, my name is Mark. How are you doing? Mark, you're on the air. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, I, I wanted to know what your thoughts were on why all these things are happening. Like, is there someone at the top who's very rich, like the, someone from the World Economic Forum or the World Health Organization? Do they want control? Do they want power? Are they going to ruin the food system, the banking system, so we have to go digital? Then they can control us. Like, if I say I love God or something, and, you know, they can, like, shut my money off. Is this, is this you know, should I be afraid? What do you think? Well, I don't think that you should live in a state of fear. I mean, we did talk about fear earlier. Fear is certainly a killer. It will keep you from... Uh, from accomplishing things in life, it will put you in a in a state where you could be easily taken over by illness. I mean, fear is a very very uh, bad 
place to be. That's not to say that there aren't people out there who do have negative intentions. I mean, certainly whoever they are, the governments of the world and the people that control those governments, these uh, these mega corporations, they definitely want a docile, fearful group of people that they can they can rule over. I mean, you, you agree with that, right, Jim? Yeah, so, I mean, so... I got a sort of a bunch of answers on on your uh, question. You know, who's in control? Well, so we know that three to five percent of the population are essentially psychopaths or sociopaths, or these people. Is it who that lust many? I power. thought it was only one percent. Well, I, well, okay, one percent, one percent psychopaths. So there may be more sociopaths. Three to five percent okay, is the number I've been hearing. But and then you have all of these, you know, the incompetent people I talk about, the people who mm-hmm. beg for government. You know, so we got a lot of people right now that their career is so specifically one thing like you know for example the guy's an accountant he can't do anything else but be an accountant he can't make money like doing other things but being an accountant so he feels so he believes so he's been trained so you have a lot of people who you know because of like you know academia and the you know guidance counselors and you're going to go to college you know to learn about this one particular thing uh so there uh, so a lot of like you know your and then you have your government employees and your people that are, you know, all in the medical system and all the heavily government regulated system and all the people like all, all, every nurse is a license to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. And all of these a lot of these, you know, so-called professionals that are licensed by the state uh, because, you know, I feel that they, they have um, are, are somewhat incompetent. Well, they're they're incompetent or they lack confidence. So they, you know, need to get all of this, you know, certification and stuff from the government and praise from the government. And they. Well, well hold on. COVID was them. a perfect example of how those people are compromised. Right. Because, oh, absolutely. Because, you know, they may be very competent. They may be very good at the job that at, they're at, doing. At the one thing they do. Sure. Right. They, I, I mean, but when the pressure came on to these people of you either take the government line on COVID or you lose right. your job, that was the moment when you really got to see which ones had the courage right. to stand for their own convictions and potentially lose their their job and there weren't that many of them hello my name is mark how you doing mark you're on the air what's on your mind tonight i i I wanted to know what your thoughts were on why all these things are happening like is there someone at the top who's very rich like someone from the world economic forum or the world health organization do they want control do they want power are they going to ruin the food system the banking system so we have to go digital then they can control us like if i say i love god or something and you know they can like shut my money off is this is this you know should i be afraid what do you think well i don't think that you should live in a state of fear i mean we did talk about fear earlier fear is certainly a killer it will keep you from uh, from accomplishing things in life, it will put you in a in a state where you could be easily taken over by illness. I mean, fear is a very very uh, bad place to be. That's not to say that there aren't people out there who do have negative intentions. I mean, certainly whoever they are, the governments of the world and the people that control those governments, these uh, these mega corporations, they definitely want a docile, fearful group of people that they can they can rule over i mean you, you agree with that right Jim? yeah so i mean so i got a sort of a bunch of answers on on your uh, question you know who's in control well so we know that three to five percent of the population are essentially psychopaths or sociopaths or these people is it who that many i thought it was only one percent well, I, well okay one percent one percent psychopaths so there may be more sociopaths three to five percent okay, is the number i've been hearing but 
And then you have all of these, you know, the incompetent people I talk about, the people who mm-hmm. beg for government. You know, so we got a lot of people right now that their career is so specifically one thing. Like, you know, for example, the guy's an accountant. He can't do anything else but be an accountant. He can't make money like doing other things but being an accountant. So he feels, so he believes, so he's been trained. So you have a lot of people who, you know, because of like, you know, academia and the, you know, guidance counselors and you're going to go to college, you know, to learn about this one particular thing. Uh, so there, uh, so a lot of like, you know, your, and then you have your government employees and your people that are, you know, all in the medical system and all the heavily government regulated system and all the people like all, all every nurse is a license to be a nurse mm-hmm. and all of these, a lot of these, you know, so-called professionals that are licensed by the state uh, because, you know, I feel that they, they have, um, are, are somewhat incompetent. Well, they're they're incompetent or they lack confidence, so they you know need to get all of this you know certification and stuff from the government and praise from the government, and they feel well, they well, need the government. Well, hold on. COVID was them. a perfect example of how those people are compromised, right? Because, oh, absolutely. Because you know they may be very competent, they may be very good at the job that at, they're at, doing. At the one thing they do, sure. Right. They, I, I mean, but when the pressure came on to these people of you either take the government line on COVID or you lose right. your job. That was the moment when you really got to see which ones had the courage right. to stand for their own convictions and potentially lose their their job. And there weren't that many of them. Um, most of them went along to get along. Even they, they even kept their mouths shut if they disagreed with the official government line. And so that's a perfect uh, example. Yeah. So, anyways, like that. Basically, if you're not following the narrative, you know. Um, you're not part of the cult. So we got a whole bunch of, just make it simple. We have a bunch of cult members. They're just going to worship this cult called the mm-hmm. state. And th- so all of their pensions uh, absolutely require this worship to happen, require sure. people to keep paying into the state. In fact, here in New Hampshire, and I'm sure in every state in the uh, in the United States of America, uh, there is a college program at Granite State University that was titled something like... Uh, maximizing revenue for DCYF and they would incentivize the social workers that are going out, you know, trying to, you know, get families to agree to some kind of service services from child protection services or DCYF uh, so they could get the federal money and this federal money coming into the system into support DCYF. They, these people are trained that this is, or told, I should say, that this is what funds their pension. And they are also told that they need to have more people come in behind them to keep their pensions fund. This is what this particular cult uh, of, of you know, government employees is told. And most of the government employees that are out there, most of what our tax dollars, first off, is paying for is pensions, like I was saying before. Mm-hmm. But most government employees are totally unnecessary. And the few government employees that, like I would say, uh, are useful are like the guy the plowing guy. the road yep. you know the um you know then you have like utilities which are sort of semi-government Maybe you know, electricity firemen. water yeah. and firemen we have all kinds of examples of uh uh, private fire departments. In fact, we have a really good example. It's called Palmer Ambulance Service, Palmer, Massachusetts. It is a private ambulance service, yeah. and it works really well. They had that here in uh, in Keene as well. But I want to see if uh, if Mark had anything he okay, wanted to weigh in on. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, thank you for answering that. Um, in the last four or five years, who's benefited from this? Who who's the puppet master that could influence the leaders of the world to? make these bad decisions or or whatever or whatever decisions 
Well, they're bad for uh, the, the majority of the population, but they're very good decisions when it comes from the perspective of the international bankers uh, and whoever else it is that stands to benefit, right? Like, there's a reason why these people are, are doing this. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.